Stop! You creature of the night! Who are you who interrupts my nightly feeding? I am Peter Vincent Vampire Killer! Welcome to Bright Night Real. This is Now Playing's Fright Night Retrospective Series. I've seen all of your films, and I've found them very amusing. Hosted by Brock. You know, he is insane. I do hope it's not a friend of yours. Arnie. There are no such things as vampires, fruitcake. And Stuart. Kill me before I turn into a vampire and give you a hickey. What am I going to do? What are you going to do? These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Listener discretion is advised. I warned you. Charlie, I'm ready. Today we're talking about Fright Night 2. New Blood. Bullshit! Bullshit! It's not part two of anything! Bullshit! Starring Will Payne. Bullshit! He's not Will Payne! He's a fucking nobody! He's not the star! That's not Charlie! Keep going. (laughs) We could do this all day. Jamie Murray, (laughs) Sean Power, Sasha Parkinson, Chris Waller, and directed by Eduardo Rodriguez. This is Brock. Bullshit! You're not Spanish! (laughs) <laughs> co-host of now play Stuart in la welcome to now playing for real bitch this is arnie and happy halloween everybody it's october 31st and we always like to have a horror episode going out trick or treat i i think i know what's landing in my bucket right now Happy, happy Halloween, 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 happy, happy Halloween, Fright Night, New Blood. (laughs) Last year we did Trick or Treat, right? Yeah. Go watch that one. Trick or Treat. This year we do Fright Night 2. Because the fans demanded it. Because I was tired of the emails. When's Fright Night 2 coming? When are you doing Fright Night 2? So... Here it is. We are going to review Fright Night 2 or 2B or 2.1 or something like that. A movie that came out direct to video, Fright Night, here on Halloween. And as we are on Halloween, I do want to remind our listeners this is also the last day of our psycho donation retrospective at midnight tonight. Psycho goes in the vault, and the three of us discussed all those Norman Bates movies. I think we had some great conversations, but this is the last day to get them, so you can treat us with a donation, and we will treat you with 11 bonus podcasts, 6 on Psycho, 5 on Simon Pegg, and Nick Frost movies. You can find out all the details of that on nowplayingpodcast.com. But now, Fright Night... A direct-to-video continuation of a series we did back in 2011. And let me just reiterate, I am a big fan. Love the 1985 movie. And you know what? I went back and watched the 2011 reboot. Good job there. I have always liked this. I collected the comic. I was the big proponent of this. And even I have to ask, 
What the fuck is Fright Night 2 The New Blood? It's not The New Blood. That would be a Jason movie. Just New Blood. (laughs) It's not a sequel to either movie. It is not a sequel to the 1985 movie. It is not a sequel to the 2011 reboot. I honestly think it's a remake of the original sequel. The one in which the vampire was the chick. I mean, I don't know what you gain from calling this Fright Night other than guaranteeing that now playing has to review it. <laughs> Maybe that's exactly what the producers and director were going for. <laughs> Somebody must talk about this on the internet. Hey, these guys will talk about anything that has a number in the title. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Whatever I think of the movie itself, I think that it is essentially a standalone vampire effort set in Bucharest that is littered with Fright Night callbacks from all of the movies, but does not have any ties to any of them. The fact that it has a two in the title is its worst offense. There is no sequel to be had here. This is not a sequel to anything. I agree. I went back and rewatched the 2011 movie when this was coming out. I wanted to be prepared. I had seen it once since our review back in theaters. I love Colin Farrell's performance in it. I love David Tennant's performance in it. It didn't take a lot of prodding to get me to put that in there screen here and watch it again but i went back primarily to refresh myself on the tale of charlie amy evil ed and jerry so that i would be prepared because this was called fright night 2 i thought i might need to know something and i saw an imdb the characters were coming back there's a charlie brewster in this i thought even though it wasn't any of the same actors It might be worth a damn to go back and see the other one. It does not influence my viewing of this film one iota. No. Now, I came to the series as a complete newbie, never saw any Fright Night movies before. So this one coming in with Fright Night 2, I too expected a sequel or something. While watching this, I felt this was another remake. It feels to me like a remake. We're obviously going to talk about it as we go through the podcast. We will talk about it, but let's just get this out of the way ahead of time. I was really confused and even pissed when this movie starts and it's Charlie and Amy and Evil Ed. And I'm like, wait a minute, Ed's dead, motherfuckers. How the hell is Ed here? And it really was about 20 minutes into this movie that I realized that this could just as well be called Fright Night, just the same as the one from the 80s and the one from 2011. It is yet another Fright Night remake. It is not a sequel to Jack or shit. Right. This is unprecedented, right? We've never had a reboot two years after an original. I mean, I don't think that even Hulk, when they had the Eric Bana one, there was more time that went on before they brought it back with Edward Norton. I mean, I've never seen somebody be like, here's the new Fright Night and crumple it up and, all right, here's the new Fright Night. But, <laughs> but that's what they've done. Yes. It really feels like Teen Wolf to me. I got thinking there's a couple different types of sequels. The two common ones are either you can continue the story of the characters from the first one, or you can tell the same story again, but this time have new characters. And the epitome of that for me is Teen Wolf 2. I almost felt like this should be called Fright Night 2 T-O-O. Police Academy did the exact same thing. I had the exact same thought you did, that they take the exact same jokes, the exact same concepts, the exact same characters, and then they just put a new little spit and polish on it. But Teen Wolf 2, it was boxing instead of basketball etc so here it's romania instead of vegas yes do good things happen on a low budget in romania i i don't know that they do i really 
I gotta say, even as a Fright Night fan, I knew, I knew when I was picking up this disc that it was not going to be great. I knew that because it just, it, it shouldn't be. But then I had a change of heart about direct to DVD. My eyes were opened by another series that was started by Tom Holland that has recently been reborn on home viewing formats. Curse of Chucky. I know that we've all seen it, and without spoiling my thoughts on it, I will say that whatever you think of the movie, it is a higher bar than I would have expected from what we were given. To get a movie direct to DVD, I would think the curse would be that you'd have to watch it, but in truth, it is a legitimate sequel. You can go on. You can carry on a tradition, even on a lower budget, even when you're not going to the movie theaters. I try not to be too hard on these films filmed in Romania. We talked about in Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, even though neither of us recommended it, Stuart, we did talk about how that international atmosphere added some flavor to that sequel. And if you're not trying to pretend it's California like they did in a couple of Return of the Living Dead direct-to-video sequels, it can work to give it a European flair. So given that they're filming in Romania and saying it's Romania, not filming in Romania and saying it's Vegas, I don't consider that all that damning. It is kind of nice to see Fright Night overseas. So Stuart, you just mentioned that Chucky was direct to DVD and they had two versions of that, rated and unrated. In this one also, blowing my mind, has an unrated and a rated version. Which one did you guys see for this podcast? Unrated. And the difference is, is one scene, 30 seconds long. That's basically all the difference in the world. But I think it's funny when you have a direct-to-DVD movie with a theatrical but not really cut and then an unrated version. I, I think that's funny. But yes, there is basically some titty shots uh, that are in the unrated version. I heard there were more titties and unrated, so that's what I watched. I had a choice to do for both on iTunes. I actually downloaded it from iTunes to watch it, and I watched, of course, the rated version. Ha! No nipples for you. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. I, yeah, I feel I missed out. Uh, the thing is, I never knew that direct-to-DVD movies needed to be rated by the Motion Picture Association of America. And it blew my mind that they would have two versions, especially of this movie. But I, is this something that's a new practice? Because I've seen quite a lot of the Disney direct-to-DVD sequels, and I don't think they're rated. I don't know. I haven't checked. But do they normally do that sort of thing? And is this a regular practice now with Chucky and this? Are we to expect that a direct-to-DVD will have multiple versions? Well, is Blockbuster Video still in business? No. Okay, because in the day, showing my age... Blockbuster would not carry unrated cuts of films. So you had to have R-rated cuts of films for them. And I found that with certain digital movies, they would not have unrated versions. I've not found any problem with that with iTunes. iTunes seems pretty liberal with the unrated. But I have noticed Ultraviolet, it had unrated of New Blood, but did not have unrated of Chucky. And so some of these streaming services... And maybe some of the movie networks, if they're going to get play on Encore or something, don't want the unrated cut. They still have to deal with the cable companies and all that. And so it is 
common to get an MPAA rating just so that you don't have the stigma of uncensored where and uncensored could be triple X porn. I mean, triple X is not an MPAA rating. I hate to burst this bubble, but vivid video does not inundate the MPAA with hardcore porn to get a stamp (laughs) of disapproval. (laughs) So I think that there's just something about the marketing and the availability of the versions and Blu-rays. I said this on Curse of Chucky. Blu-ray buyers are collectors. They want all the bonus features. They want every deleted scene, alternate scenes, extended scenes. And if there's different cuts of a film, they want them. Even though everybody will always watch the one with more tits, we want the ability to watch the one with less tits if it exists. Right. And it should also be pointed out, I think unrated actually is a badge of honor. I think what they're trying to prepare us for is that we're about to see the most extreme Fright Night yet. Are you ready? Let's do it. Arnie, give them the plot. All right. This is a totally new tale of Charlie Brewster, his best bud, Evil Ed Bates. Totally new. (laughs) His girlfriend, Amy Lee. Never heard of any of this. I don't think their last name were Bates and Lee in the past one, right? Charlie Brewster's the same, but I think they changed the last name of Ed and Amy. This may be the most creative thing they did, yes. (laughs) These three are foreign exchange students studying in Romania. What's funny about that? (laughs) I love the fact that they go all the way to Romania to spend nine hours a day in the classroom. I think that is hysterical. Why are they going to Bucharest if they're not going to actually see the town? But go on. We'll we'll be doing this a lot. Charlie and Amy are a bit estranged as just before the trip, Amy saw him cheating on her. But Charlie is determined to win Amy back. But their first night in Romania, looking outside his window, Charlie sees two women making out. And then one turns into a vampire and kills the other. And to make matters worse, the vampire is Charlie's professor, Jerry Dandridge. That's G-E-R-R-I, not J-E-R-R-Y. It turns out Jerry is an ancient vampire who, in the history books, is known as Elizabeth Bathroy, who, according to this movie... And I'm not going to go into real history. We'll go according to movie history. Elizabeth Bathroy used to bathe in the blood of virgins to keep her youthful appearance. And Bram Stoker's Dracula is based on Bathroy, not, as is commonly thought, Vlad the Impaler. And for hundreds of years, Jerry has been in Romania feeding on the people there. And now Jerry has found in Amy something she has sought for these hundreds of years. A new moon virgin. (laughs) Wasn't that a Duran Duran song? (laughs) No, that doesn't mean she hasn't seen the Twilight Saga. (laughs) But instead, that she was born on a new moon, and if Jerry can feed off Amy, and then have Amy kill Charlie, (laughs) Jerry will be able to walk in sunlight, though still be a vampire. This is all about getting a tan. Yes, I just want to point it out. Everything is about this chick being able to be a daywalker. All right, go on. Hey, that worked for Stephen Dorff and Blade. But not me. No one believes Charlie's story except for Ed, so the two seek out Peter Vincent. A reality TV star whose shows feature him on, quote, real life, unquote, monster hunts. But Vincent reveals it's a bunch of bullshit and that there are no real monsters. It's only when Ed offers Vincent two grand that he agrees to come and investigate Jerry. But Jerry reveals herself on a subway car and Vincent flees immediately. Jerry bites Ed and kidnaps and transforms Amy. 
Peter returns to the strip club where the boys first met him and holds up, but is attacked by Ed, who in vampire form is upset that Vincent was a fake. Vincent fights off Ed, but then refuses to help Charlie go face Jerry and rescue Amy. But he does arm Charlie and tell him that if Jerry is killed before sunrise, Amy could return to human form. There's no monsters, but he knows all the rules. But Charlie is no match for the vampires, and he's bitten and turned. Jerry then holds Charlie for Amy to kill, completing the ritual that will make Jerry unstoppable, or tannable, as Stuart said. So Charlie stakes himself, preventing the ritual's completion, which seems to start to kill Amy. But he misses his own heart, and Amy's health is restored, and Amy and Jerry once again try to kill Charlie when they're interrupted by Peter Vincent. A fight ensues, and Peter tells Charlie the sun is up, so Charlie uses his vampire power of shrieking to break all the glass, exposing the room to sunlight, killing Jerry. That's my favorite part of Dracula, yeah, the shrieking. (laughs) (laughs) And with her dead, Charlie and Amy return to human form, credits roll, and I still wonder where the new blood is. Yeah, well, it's because they didn't get David Tennant and Chekhov from Star Trek. I mean, I think if they were going to call this a sequel, they owed us at least one returning actor from the last movie. The fact that it's all new characters pretending like they're the last one. The director says in the commentary, oh, you know, it's like James Bond, that James Bond can be played by different people, but we accept it because it's James Bond. Yes, but this is not Charlie picking up with Peter Vincent on another adventure. They're acting like they don't know each other. They're starting out where we have to reestablish all these relationships. The new blood is that we've got new green people in front of and behind the camera. None of whom you'll ever have heard of before or again. None of whom are American despite their ability to pull off the accent. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Really? I didn't know that. I thought the guy who played Peter Vincent seemed awfully familiar, but I couldn't peg where I saw him before. Apparently, I was wrong. Yeah, he's worked. I think he is the one American here. Uh, born in Dublin, raised in Canada. Oh, wow. Well, then good job. They all did a good job. I want to applaud the acting in this so much. I think they all credibly, conventionally play Americans here. I don't know why they need to. I don't know why. I do wish... If I could have one little fix here, it's that they at least had new teens involved. I would be totally down for a new vampire story called Fright Night 2 in which it's entirely new kids. Maybe they're European, but they're here in Bucharest, and we maybe just have one holdover. Maybe the Vegas thing wasn't working for Peter Vincent anymore, and then he went and had this reality show. I don't think they'd have to work that hard in order to have a tie back to the original movie, but just give us new characters that he could meet and indoctrinate. Wait a minute. You want to go the Short Circuit 2 route for a sequel, is what you're saying. I don't know. You want to take the most minor character from the first movie who had a great couple of lines or a great flashy scene and then make the whole movie about that guy? Well, Short Circuit 2 also had Johnny Five, so that was the real (laughs) star. I think that Johnny Five invalidates your argument. (laughs) Fisher Stevens disagrees, but okay. I think Peter Vincent is the movie. I think that the stories that we'd want to hear are from him. He is the host of Fright Night. He is the one that has the ability to have new adventures to tell. I didn't need more Charlie. Really, I was done with Charlie's story. I felt that way in Fright Night, too. The problem with that theory, Stuart, is that 
the remake of Fright Night had an entirely A-list cast, down to you endlessly decrying the underuse of Tony Collette. Yes. So you're not going to get David Tennant on this budget. You're not going to get any of the people from Fright Night 2011 to do a direct-to-video cheap-ass sequel. So you got to take away any returning actors. What I would want out of Fright Night to New Blood would be returning characters. Okay, like James Bond, recast them because you can't afford or they won't make themselves available to do your movie, but at least pick up the storyline threads. At least give us a Queen of the Damned to interview with a vampire type of sequel. Yeah. What we get at first is none of the above. We have a scene that has absolutely no connection to anything else in the movie. It is a nameless woman driving up to a gas station and getting attacked by something that is never clearly in focus. <laughs> I did listen to the commentary on this, and they had no idea where they wanted to put this. They kept talking about how difficult it was to film this and that it could be the end of the movie or in the middle of the movie. They didn't know. I'm going to ask, why is it in the movie? Because blowing up gas stations is expensive. (laughs) It should be pointed out. They make it very clear. They had 23 days to shoot this. The script was written in one week. The director cites that as a good thing. Like, isn't it awesome that the screenwriter wrote this in seven days? I'm wondering what he did for the other five other than watch Fright Night (laughs) repeatedly. But anyway, this was a very strenuous, difficult shot in harsh conditions where it was snowing and very cold i get it it was difficult you focus on the stuff that's important i don't know why we need this opener here other than in theory what it sets up is that our villain is an old woman who drinks blood to turn young but you see so little of her i literally thought is this a ninja is it a hobbit is it a bear (laughs) what is attacking this woman on the video camera it's nothing so really it establishes nothing other than confusion and cheapness which is my worst fears about fright night But it didn't really hit me that it had nothing to do with the movie, Stuart, until the movie started proper. When I first saw the scene, it's my favorite scene in the whole movie. I mean, it has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. It's a (laughs) self-contained little thing, but I like it. I like that we saw this woman kind of like in Liar Liar when he beats himself up in the bathroom. She's getting thrown around with nobody in there. She's she's beating herself up on the video camera, but clearly we figure out – well, I figured out that it was a vampire doing that and it can't be filmed, right? I thought the whole thing was fun to watch. And then I learned it wasn't to do with the rest of the movie. But at starting off, I thought, okay, all right, I, I, I kind of like this. You didn't like it while you watched it? I Like I said, could not see what I was supposed to understand. I literally thought it was a bear. And later in the shot, I don't know if you noticed, but in the background, as she's inside the car screaming, there are dogs running around in the background. I thought, oh, it's a pack of werewolves. No, they just had no control over the set. Those were stray mongrels running into the shot. <laughs> There's only one thing attacking her, and it's an old lady. But who would know from this opener? I actually got that it was a bag lady. And I think it's a good introduction to vampires and violence. Before I knew this movie was going to have nothing to do with anything previous, I took this as introduction to the new vampire. It's a woman, and she's a badass because she's blowing up a gas station. She can't be seen on camera. I actually did like the pantomime beating herself up type stuff. And 
it fooled me because it made me think this movie would have a higher budget than it did because it blew so much in the first five minutes. Yeah, it should be said, for a visual quality, it's easier to make a better-looking movie on no money than it used to be. I mean, had they made this as a cheap 80s sequel, I think it would look far worse. The videography, all of this stuff, even on a low budget, my complaints with it aren't largely about under being underlit or just badly made. I think that it's confusingly edited. Like I said, I didn't get to see this woman. But by and large, my problems are not that we're on a low budget in Bucharest. Yeah, it's a cheap place to shoot with tax credits, but it has also got atmosphere and a history with Vlad the Impaler. I'm totally okay with this being the setup, but I am concerned when we roll in here and we meet the new, or the old, Charlie Brewster. What do you mean the old? Well, I mean, it's supposedly Charlie Brewster. I mean, I know who that character is. I don't know who this guy is. I was going with it. This is Charlie. I was going with it. That's Amy and Ed. But I was very confused that it seemed like they were going right back to the beginning. And this is called Fright Night 2. Right away after that first scene, when we get this first scene with these guys. I can't even understand if he did sleep with another girl or in this case, kissing her. Why would she even entertain talking to him? If she's that pissed off at him. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. And why are they both? And at this point, I didn't know why they were there. So why is she around him? It didn't make any sense. Yeah, this is a plan. She makes some kind of quip like, some plans do work out. We finally made it to Romania. Was this ever discussed? Like, is that a dream that people have? That they're going (laughs) to go? Are are they in high school? Are they in college? They are high school students. They keep talking about professor, so it confused me. But on a second viewing, God help me, they're high school students. They're foreign exchange students. I thought they were in a band. I thought they were... idea yeah they didn't know i think one of the things that comes up in the commentary again and again is that ideas changed as you have to adjust with what's going on i get it low budget filmmaking who knows why they're here they're rolling in it's meant to vaguely remind us of who they were before i just think that that's a mistake from the get-go again i want to stress I would be with this movie better if I didn't hear the words Charlie Brewster and Evil Ed. I really resent the fact that they want us to think that what they're doing with these people is in any way comparable with either of the Fright Night movies that we've seen before. Just make them new kids! I mean, how do they think they're doing any favors to Stephen Jeffries or McLovin here? Once I realized what they were doing, and again, the first time I watched this, it took me a good 15 minutes or so to get that vibe from them, right? That this isn't a continuation. This isn't the Charlie and Amy we saw making out in the last scene in Vegas. Now, still in high school, on a trip to Romania. When I figured out that it's all new people and that... This shouldn't have a two in the title. I kind of like the thought of each film being a weird mirror tale of a Charlie Brewster, a Evil Ed, a Amy fighting a vampire named Jerry, and that you will have certain beats the same, but every time it's told through a different prism. That could be a really interesting experiment for an anthology film i mean stephen king kind of did this thing with the regulators and desperation two stories that have all the same characters but are totally different books written by two different authors stephen king and richard bachman it's experimental it could excite me though you're being very generous 
Yeah, very generous. I would like these guys if they weren't called what they are. I think that's what I'm trying to say here is at the beginning, you've turned me against your main characters because you're trying to tell me that you're rebooting it and that I'm supposed to feel exactly the same way about them that I did previously. And no discredit to these people. I I think that they're okay. They've got an energy. They're passable. They would be fine as kids in a vampire horror movie in Bucharest. They suck as continuations of Charlie and Evil Ed and Amy. I guess that's the thing that I felt I had to do with this movie, is know the previous movie so I could see the references, but not see them as anything but new characters named Charlie, Ed, and Amy. So I was going to give this movie more of a pass in that regard. Yeah, but how long did that pass last? I mean, nothing here makes sense. They arrive at night... They have class that evening, plus they're going on a vampire tour that evening. And then they have to get up at 8 in the morning and have classes again all day long. Nothing about this setup feels right. Okay, I took the timeline as different. They get into town in the evening. I've traveled internationally. Sometimes the time changes suck. And then that evening, he gets to see lesbian vampires through the window. So that's pretty good. I thought the class was then the next day after he saw the lesbian vampires. No, no. There is clearly a knock at the door and their teacher says, we got a class tonight and we know the vampire can't teach during the day. So after she chewed up that woman in the window, she then goes and has the most spectacular slideshow of art I've ever seen in my life. It's like a fashion show or something. <laughs> when Jerry Dandridge teaches art, man, she really goes full on crazy. She has to impress those lazy Americans. We're not that good in the school systems, you know. Yeah, I agree. I would, I would be so much better at calculus if it were taught in this way. <laughs> <laughs> By a sexy lesbian vampire? Me too. <laughs> I've also felt that when they had to go to class in the middle of the night, it was so odd because it felt like the middle of the night. It felt like 9 or 10 o'clock at night. It didn't feel like 6.30. It didn't make any sense. I thought, too, that it was the next day, even though they did say it was, you know, class tonight, I remember all of that, it felt when he was in the classroom was a completely different day. I mean, obviously, they're trying to tell us it's not, and it doesn't make any sense for a vampire to be out during the day, blah, 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 but it feels like a whole different day. Yeah, I thought that she was teaching during the day because the, the room had no windows. I did not realize it was night classes, and then, yes, they follow their class with a vampire tour. You know, it's like their Ford Exchange student program is as long as the filming schedule for this movie. We gotta be done in two weeks. We're gonna cram it all in your first night. Jet lag be fucked. I know. Not only are they jet lag, but, I mean, these are modern kids. You know they'd be on their phone. You know they'd be skipping out. That auditorium is filled. Everybody goes. I, I've never been to a, a class in college or high school where everybody attends, particularly under such extreme circumstances it's hilarious there are parts of the world that like you know for like half the years like 23 hours of darkness okay so it's possible but not bucharest right not bucharest it's only that because that's when they chose to shoot and you know again atmospheric i like the locale i'm hanging on this i like the people and the dynamic i just don't like that they're working in these callbacks don't do the I saw the vampire across from my window thing. That is stupid. Stupid for many reasons. One, she has a whole castle to herself. Go kill people there. Two, you're supposed to be an old crone feeding on women to stay young. Why are you sexy and beautiful as you're chewing on them? It, it seems different to me because she bathes in the blood to stay young, and yet she feeds for food, I think. Sometimes. But the... Seeing somebody through the window has been in every Fright Night film. 
I want that to be the case. If you're going to, again, do this experimental style of storytelling where you're going to have the same story written by eight different people told eight different times, but it's going to have some basic tenets, then one has to be Charlie sees it first through a window. One has to be Peter Vincent is somebody who should have knowledge about monsters and they have to go pay him to help because he isn't really what he appears to be. These are the beats that they're going to have to hit if you're going to retell this story again and again. If you go that way, and I'll I'll grant you, okay, that's the way that they're going. I want to point out, in 2011, they didn't do it that way. They do have a looking out the window moment, but it wasn't built around rear window, that Hitchcock kind of suspense of, I saw something I shouldn't outside my window. It's just something they do in passing. I, I think that they are going back to the original 1985 movie by having this Charlie sees someone that no one else does outside of his bedroom window. That is specifically in the first and i thought that once that beat happened it hit me full on that wait a second i think they're remaking the first fright night again this is the first indication for me and after that everything else fell into place for me well i did read some interviews in fangoria and horror hound magazine about this and really i just want to get this out there and Stuart, maybe you would have heard the same thing in the director's commentary there's no artistry behind the choice to make this this was a studio decision that i think an accountant noticed that fright night in 2011 made enough money to be profitable as a cheap direct-to-video item the, the interviews i read there is no love for Fright Night the franchise, be it the 85 version or the 2011 version. They just understand marketability and the things that people seem to like, so they're going to do it again. They're not trying even to pay homage or pay respect to the previous Fright Nights. This is commerce, not art. Yeah, this is from the same studio that gave us S. Darko, the unfortunate sequel to Donnie Darko that no one saw because... I refuse to watch. I just, oh. I, I refuse. I, I will never. And I support you. I support you in that. Never to be covered here to now playing. If you go see it, don't say you weren't warned. Just one of the worst movies I've seen in the last decade. And yeah, th this is the mentality of, you know, it's not profitable enough to really make a sequel, but maybe we can get a couple suckers on the home viewing market that's what it feels like but i'm still kind of going with this for the first half hour it's a little bit strange to see what i'm seeing but hey lesbian vampires i'm down <laughs> and i want to give this film a rare compliment i think that it's adequately shot as you've said Stuart. it's easier to make a good looking movie cheap with digital technologies, with the classroom scene, with the imagined kill that Charlie sees there, with all the night shooting and the environments, I'm liking what they're setting up, and I'm liking the acting. I'm especially liking the new Amy. I think she's really got some screen presence. The new Ed, he doesn't hold a candle to either of the previous Eds. There's nothing evil about this Chris Waller and his portrayal, but he's kind of goofy. He's kind of DiCaprio, isn't he? I kept seeing DiCaprio, and the other one looked like Shia LaBeouf to me, like if you were drunk and squinting. Yeah, I definitely see a young 
Growing Pains era DiCaprio, now that you've said it. I did not see Shia and Will Payne. Who I really saw was Gooch from Grease 2. I don't know that actor's name, but he's kind of <laughs> gawky and long-necked and weird. Take your word for it. I don't know Grease 2 that well. <laughs> wow. Charlie's the one in this cast I actually don't like, but he's coming off as appropriately nerdy. Yeah, I didn't mind the actor. I got a more of a Crispin Glover vibe off him. With the, with, I know you're a big fan of his, Arnie, but the nose and the little bit of the look, obviously not the same actor as Crispin Glover. And he ha- he has Marty McFly's hair, too, so it all works out. Yeah, it little works out. But like, I liked Evil Ed here, too. I thought he was a little closer to the first Evil Ed than McLovin last time. You know, what I felt like to me was like a college production of a show. That, you know, they all these colleges put on these famous shows and they do their version of it. That's what it felt like. It felt like a college version of Fright Night. The YouTube version. Yeah. And you know what? Again, I I think I would be liking this movie or at least being into the vibe of this movie until they keep bringing back these weird callbacks that don't seem to serve the story. I mean, I like the castle. I like the fact that they end up going to this place where Vlad the Impaler came from and there's talk about was there a female inspiration for the Dracula character? I'm totally with all of that. I am really with this Bathory story because I actually knew before this movie the story of Elizabeth Bathory. I was reading in the early 2000s a lot of books about horror and horror history and old world stories and vampires. And I read this story of Elizabeth Bathory and I'm like, you know what? She would be a remarkable subject that I have not seen covered in a lot of films. Every so often one pops up, but she seems to be a very lesser known historical killer. And I really saw in her real life story something that could be so wonderfully perverted into horror. And so when they went there, I'm like, son of a bitch. I thought that was a great idea a decade ago. I would love to see a good story about Elizabeth Bathory. Yeah. I'd still like to see a wonderful story about Elizabeth Bathory. Agreed. If this were called Bathory and not Fright Night 2, uh, you'd already be in a much better standing. But there's inconsistencies with this Bathory character. Why would uh, the original vampire be teaching art to a bunch of college kids from America? Well, you know, rent nowadays is so expensive. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of thought she'd teach history because she was there. But yeah, I mean, what is her aim? What does this woman want to do? I presume... Because I'm piecing together the the story that she will grow old and withered and ugly if she doesn't continue to feed on women. I thought it was women, but then later in the castle, she's chewing on a male. I, I don't know what her type is. I don't know what she hopes to acquire by teaching the class. I don't understand it. I think it's a great character to model a female vampire on. They have not done it in this incarnation of Jerry. And I still think there's something about... She needs to bathe with virgins, but she needs to feed on others. It is poorly defined. And I have given this film every compliment I can give it here in the first half hour. I'm out of compliments. I gave it a lot of passes. I gave it a lot of, well, that's going to be an interesting thing if they can pull it off. (laughs) They can't pull it off. They really can't. What about the Peter Vincent bit with him doing the AMC or whatever channel has the Ghost Hunter show instead of doing the magician like last movie or the first movie like a Sven Gulli kind of guy? Here you have him doing the ghost investigation show kind of thing. I thought that was a smart move for Peter Vincent's character 
for him to do that kind of show in 2013. So there's a compliment for you. I got a real dirty jobs kind of vibe off him. Mike Rowe, the way he's portrayed as kind of a bit of a rough and tumble everyman. I was again thinking, well, that's interesting. He's the man who has no fright of the night. Oh, okay. Uh, but. It's the least impressive Peter Vincent ever, isn't it? I mean, really, this was where I realized what could have been interesting was quickly becoming shitty. Because this guy and the fact that they felt they needed to replay this trope of having Peter Vincent be an outsider who's in it for the money. I thought that some of the introductory scenes were funny. I like that they have to meet him at a strip club. I especially like Ed's little line that... Everyone has needs that Charlie's is Amy Peterson's pussy and Peter's was money and strippers in no particular order. I thought those were amusing scenes, but this is not a Peter Vincent. Even when he has to finally deliver the line, welcome to Fright Night for real, bitch. It was painful. I'm like, oh, you are just stepping on Fright Night now. Well, I do think they originally intended to have this be the Vegas character. Obviously, they didn't think they would get David Tennant, but I think that this actor was supposed to be that same guy now doing a reality show. And then somewhere in the reading writing process, it's mentioned in the commentary that the writer came up with this guy, this Ghost Hunters concept. And I think it's a current fix. I think that that is how a Peter Vincent would be on the air now. Nobody airs horror movies, and even... You know, stage show magicians like Chris Angel or Passe now. I think that this is the most current way to go with Peter Vincent. And I think they make it work for the production that they have. I don't have a problem with this conceptually as Peter Vincent. And I think that the actor they got, he, they said they were going after Bear Grylls. You mentioned Dirty Jobs, but, but Bear Grylls is who they wanted to model it for. And he comes off as that. Short, arrogant cocky it works it's different than the other peter vincent's but it works in its own way i did think it was kind of lame that peter vincent just happens to be here in romania at the same time that that drop of exposition was pretty lame it's not pretty lame it's very lame and a lot of things are happenstance though what's upsetting is it's not the worst coincidence of this movie this this movie is just littered with this kind of stuff but i'll go with you arnie for the first half hour i am sort of with this movie. I know it's not good, but I'm thinking that I might be able to enjoy it once it untangles itself from its obnoxious reimaginings and just settling in to be Fright Night. Okay, let's go with it. But then after this very protracted scene in which Charlie is watching from a coffin as the old lady brings home the latest victim. How did that work, by the way? How does that pickup line get you that chick in a bar, you know? I have $500. <laughs> You're in Romania. Come with really? me. Wow. <laughs> That grandma could get laid with that for, wow, okay, maybe you're right. $500 in Romania is like 10000 in the States. That's why they can make movies there. Yes, I, I guess so. Either that or I'm a movie producer in Romania. Come with me. You have fake tits. <laughs> and let me just say, first of all, are fake tits Romania's biggest import? Because there's plenty of them on the set. Second of all, did you guys notice the horrible breast surgery scar on that girl when she's hanging upside down? 
Well, Brock may not have noticed because this is the cut scene. This is the unrated scene that you and I saw, Arnie, that Brock would have seen much less of. I'm curious to know how it played for you, Brock. The full scene is that this woman is stripped down and the old woman makes like hand puppet shadows kind of thing. And the shadows kind of grope her breasts and we get lots and lots of titty. And then all of a sudden her throat is slit and she's hung upside down and you see, you know, uh, the whole... Yeah, fake breasts are not supposed to be seen when they're hanging upside down. It reveals where they put it in. You don't see downstairs, you see her chest, and you. I think the first clear shot of her boobs, in my version, is when she's hanging upside down, draining blood. But this is where I the movie has changed. After the 30-minute mark, with this transformation here where she gets into the bath of blood and turns, I now realize, ah, what this movie is, is a sequel to Embrace the Vampire. It's Los Vampires Lesbos. It's Late Night Skinamax. This movie exists because they're not making it for Fright Night fans. They're making it for people that like a little fang in their softcore pornography. This movie is, let's just face it, barely a story. It is largely a presentation of the female form. I wish there was more of that. I wish this was Embrace of the Vampire. Just pick that up on Blu-ray. And something like that. Los Vampires Lesbos. I wish that if it was going to just be exploitive Skinamax, it could embrace being exploitive Skinamax. But actually, after this scene, that ends too. No, no. The strip club. It's uh, There's a lot of it. There's no tits in the strip club. There's no stripping in the strip club. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck is with that strip club? I would get my money back if I went to that strip club because yeah. it's not advertised. It's not what's advertised. It's the worst strip club in the world. No one's stripping. It's a strip tease. They keep teasing that someday they'll strip. <laughs> There's no giant feather fans, Arnie. There's no teasing going on. <laughs> I, I, admittedly, I'm not saying they succeeded in their job, but but what this movie becomes to me after this is exactly that. It is no longer. I go ah, I've been had. This is not for Fright Night fans. They didn't make this for me. They made this. For the Skinamax audience, this is not a sequel at all. This is uh, just a, a backdoor entry into softcore. I disagree. I think there's not enough tits and sex. I've seen Femalian. I've seen softcore. Sir, this is no softcore. It is not dirty enough. Let's go do an extra Halloween review of Embrace of the Vampire, and we'll talk softcore. When you got two knuckles up, Eliza Milano, that's softcore. This is not <laughs> softcore, sir. <laughs> I think I'll say that for the podcast, should we ever do it. But this is where I turn off, because I realize, oh, they're not even trying. They're not even trying. What is important is that they continue to make this kind of bad, erotic, whatever, and their story will just kind of hit the Fright Night notes along the way as they stumble to some kind of end. It's frustrating when I realize the movie's not going to get better after it's uneven 30 minutes. It's going to get much worse. There, I will agree with you. I'm trying to figure out what this is trying to hit, because it isn't sexy enough to be late night two moon junction type of fun it isn't violent enough to be exploitation schlock it isn't smart enough to be in this fright night series and it certainly isn't scary nor suspenseful i'm watching them go through those motions and tell the same story that they've told in the other fright nights where charlie is saying there's a vampire and nobody believes him especially amy and he and amy are a little bit estranged, and there's that 
always that scene where they face off in front of others and have that little double meaning conversation. Where I really know this is just utterly cheap crap is when they tell Bathroy's backstory in cartoon. This is how the director got the job. It's mentioned in the commentary. The producer of the film said they interviewed a lot of directors. Eduardo Rodriguez didn't really have anything on his resume that would say put him at the top of the list. But when he told them that he'd want to tell this backstory as a cartoon, they went, this is our guy. Because it's cheap. <laughs> I just gotta ask, if you were roaming the world for virgins, would you really go on to Hindenburg? <laughs> She's on a blip as it's burning. I'm like, really? I actually thought she caused the Hindenburg is what was being implied there. <laughs> Why would you think a bunch of virgins would be in the Hindenburg? Well, it was the 30s or 40s. There wasn't a lot of premarital sex back then. <laughs> no, I not at all. I wouldn't think there's a lot of swinging singles on the Hindenburg, but what do I know? I wasn't there. I just, all of this is very funny. And they imply that she killed the Black Dahlia. And I don't know. They're just scenes to have scenes. Uh, it's, it's all very silly. I love that it ends with to be continued. Like it's a motion comic and they're going to come out with Elizabeth <laughs> Bathory part two. <laughs> yeah, this is all utter crap. And when they realize what they've done to the Bathory story, I'm like, you're not exploiting this in the right way. Way. You don't want Bathroy, in my vision, to be your baddie. You want her to be the mother of evil, not evil itself. So I'm really just kind of groaning through all of this. And where I realize this is just going to fall all the hell apart is when we finally get to the next big action scene. Our first real action scene since the blowing up gas station almost a full hour earlier, the subway fight. Where they've got Peter Vincent, they're going to take him to check out Jerry, but no, Jerry's come to them and they meet her on the subway. <laughs> Again, another just happenstance of, yeah, why not? I'm going to pay you $3,000 to go have a drink with this chick, or you could just step onto the subway car, see her black eyes, and go run away. Uh, yes. <laughs> I like that he runs away, and then he's just like pointing like, dude, you're fucked. That is one <laughs> funny moment. Yeah. It is kind of fun. I mean, you know, this is the point. Amy is tagged along. It should be said, Amy's the reason they get out of the situation, because she's the one wearing the crucifix. It's the moment where she realizes, finally, that Charlie is not crazy and that their teacher really is a vampire. So, I think we needed to have this moment. I also think you need to establish this moment better. They've they've already played the games of Jerry was invited into her dorm room and Jerry is having dream sequences where she's slashing Amy's throat. I just think you needed to establish why she wanted Amy earlier. She doesn't know until much later that Amy is the one. It, it should have been done better. I didn't even think she wanted Amy. I thought she was after Charlie because Charlie knew her secrets. And so she's going to feed on them. I agree with Arnie. I think that she was after Charlie at this point. And yes, I agree with you. She should have realized Amy was the one here. That being said, the subway scene is my second favorite scene in this movie. I guess, again, by default. <laughs> but I did like the lights going out, that the people are dead. And I liked how it ended with Ed being fed upon and how his body was like wriggling and things like that. I liked elements of this scene very much. So... While, yes, it's all contrived and weird, I did like it as a little section of the movie. I like the eye stabbing, too. 
Yes, that was cool. Yeah, I'll back you up on this. If we were to forget about how they wound up in this car together, it's fun the way that the bum falls over and, uh, yeah, the crucifix in the eye. There, There is stuff here that works. It's just that it's been done so badly that I can't even appreciate it because I'm like, wait, but how, huh, what, who, where, and how? She doesn't want Charlie. She knows that Charlie has known from the get-go. This woman wants Charlie to know. She purposely kills someone in front of the window so that he can see. She knows he's in the coffin and then kills somebody else and then lets him run away. I do not know why she would want to kill Charlie now. Agreed. Her motivation is confusing until we finally get the Amy MacGuffin. I will say one change they make that I like. In both previous Fright Nights with an Evil Ed, Ed was seduced to the dark side because he was kind of a picked-on geek. Here, Ed is not a picked-on geek, and he sacrifices himself heroically so that Amy and Charlie can escape. I kind of like that character change for this new evil. Sure, and she says, you know, let's see how well evil you are. Uh, not very. Ultimately, yeah, I think it's a problem when he does turn vampire. I think I would have liked to have seen him be a little bit more aggressive. Even she calls it out in the movie that he's not evil enough. Yeah, basically, <laughs> all he wants to do at that point is get back at Peter Vincent for not believing in his own spiel. He was a Fright Night fan, and to find out that this guy didn't really believe in the ghosts he was chasing was enough for him to get bit, I guess. That was very weak, but I do like that we get to see Ed as a vampire later in the movie. Even though he's, you know, he gets bitten here, he could have just died. Well, they always do that. I mean, that wasn't yeah, new, okay. but I would have liked to have seen him, I don't know, have a point. He was a horror fan. He did buy masks. He did go on the vampire tour. Maybe he actually would enjoy this new power. I'd, we'll never know because this movie is not about Evil Ed. In fact, I wouldn't have known it was Evil Ed unless they were calling him Evil Ed. And really, they just should have called him Ed. Yeah. And Ed has a cross app, which is called that out, too. That was odd. Why would you have a cross app on your phone? You mean you don't? Yeah. How do you worship? <laughs> <laughs> but then, if this scene worked for everyone, and I think we're all saying more or less on the, on the low standards that we're accepting this movie, it did. It then becomes the worst scene in the entire movie, where this poor actress has to kneel down and chatter while strobe lights going on. I did not know until I played the commentary that this was supposedly bat sonar, in which she was finding them by shrieking and having the shriek hit them and refract back. I didn't figure it out until the climax when I first saw it. I didn't know what the strobe effect was. I was actually giving the director some credit for ripping off aliens by having a strobe and a camera that seemed to climb the walls and this constant change of perspective. I thought it was inventive. But I had no clue what the hell was going on until the end of the movie where Charlie does the same thing. And I'm like, oh, that's what that shit was. I got it the whole time. It was sonar. I didn't get the strobe light was supposed to symbolize the sonar, but I got she was using the shrieks to be like a sonar to track them. It's a new vampire power. I've never seen the vampire squeal before. But bats do that. Bats have sonar. That's how I got it. I, yeah, but she crouched down, and then there was a rat. I literally thought she was summoning the rats. I thought it was rat vision. I honestly, just the way it was shot, I had no idea. But but, but she was going, I thought that was a rat noise. I, I thought I, that was a snake. I had no idea what the hell that was. I know it's humiliating. That's all I can tell you. It was very humiliating to see this beautiful woman get down on her knees and go. I often pay them to do that. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man! Wow. I I do think the sound was silly. It was a really silly, stupid mm. sound. But I got what they were going for with it, and I thought, okay, because. She's a vampire, maybe a vampire bat, but correct me if I'm wrong, maybe in the unrated cut she does, she does not turn into a bat. In- We've already discussed all of this differences. Right, it yeah. was the boobies and the vajayjay. So there you go. So there's no turning into a bat, but I guess they're implying that vampires in this universe are actually vampire bats also. Yeah, bats cost more money than this movie has. <laughs> well, she does make a transformation at the end that's vaguely batty but uh <laughs> it's batty all right <laughs> it's batty all right but, and then it gets weirder they find some boxes they're in the catacombs i thought that was a cool location if i could see it but they pile on some boxes <laughs> they wind up in a church i think it's daylight there's sun streaming in here the woman's smoking i'm like oh at last it's day they go running out of there it's night again no she's smoking because it's a church yeah and even though you need the faith for the crucifix and all being in a church is a little more than she can stand. Yeah, they're really willy-nilly on this crucifix thing. Sometimes it hurts them, sometimes it doesn't. She can touch a Bible and it's like a first-degree burn, and then she can stand in front of a large cross and it can make her whole backside melt. I don't know. It's willy-nilly. It does enable them to escape, though, and we do get the Evil Ed-Peter Vincent fight in a toilet, and... I kind of like the way that it ends. I mean, Peter Vincent, for all his spiel about not believing, has a giant chest tattoo. And I I have to laugh when they go to Tattoo Vision. (laughs) What is that? (laughs) They actually have a camera shot. For those lucky individuals who haven't seen this, the camera takes the POV of the inside of Peter Vincent's chest, showing the tattoo, and him pushing Evil's head against it while it melts. And this is not the last time we will have a shot from inside a torso, but yes, <laughs> it's all kinds of strange. I guess it's a warming up for what they're going to do later with Charlie. It's weird. It's bizarre. The camera work is very showy here. There's a lot of strobe. I feel like every scene, the camera is spinning around the actors. It is rarely stationary, but the image quality is good. I, I want to and say that, again, the low production values are not affecting the enjoyment. It is purely the writing that is killing this. And the acting. I want to say that I read in some of the interviews that they were really excited that they got Jamie Murray for this. Who? I don't know, but I'm not excited they got Jamie Murray for this. She is attractive and very European, but man, she does not come off as evil. She does not come off as dangerous. And it doesn't help that they write the script they write for her. And no actor could save it. I mean, you could get Sigourney Weaver in this role and it still wouldn't work. But the acting all around the script, it is failing miserably. And when we hit the hour mark, which is where we're at going through the plot, I realized this movie is unsalvageable and no matter what they pull out at the end including an explanation for the gas station it's not going to help i don't think the acting's bad i kind of enjoy all of the characters but i can't enjoy what they're doing here we do get a fright night 2011 callback finally i feel like largely this movie has gone back to the 80s one but when charlie and amy are in the cab and all of a sudden jerry pops down in front of them and hits the car i'm thinking about that car chase scene from 2011 it doesn't have the same impact but you know they were they were trying to call back to the more recent movie i think and do you moment. think they were i 
I didn't even take that as a callback. I just took that as a scene. Yeah. Well, it had me thinking about it. I don't know whether it was intentional or not. I know that the movie was written in a week after the guy who has also penned the low-budget sequels of Mirrors 2, White Noise 2, and Leprechaun's Origins. Yes, there is a sequel to Leprechaun coming. So I imagine that this is what this guy does. He sits, he watches the originals, and then he taps back a close approximate that reworks all of the best scenes. I think I'm really going to have to rethink that whole Leprechaun series if you wrote the last one. <laughs> I actually thought of the same scene you did, Stuart. Of course, the car scene was one of, a highlight of the Ooh, other. It really you know? was. And this one, I, I was also reminded of like Superman. When someone hits him with a car, the car gets damaged and not him, right? It was kind of a weird kind of thing that she doesn't get flown back from it, but she's like a telephone pole to the car, you know? I, I didn't really get why all of a sudden she appeared there either. It just was just odd, and the whole thing felt weird. The whole scene with the cab, why are we seeing so many shots of back to the cab driver? Same thing happened in the gas station in the first scene with the camera. They kept them flashing back to the cab. We know the camera's there. Stop it. It was really weird twists all around. All of a sudden, she's there. The car flips over. Boom. It just the whole thing happened so quickly and weird, and then it really just didn't feel right. But I did get that they were trying to call back to the 2011 car scene, but – who cares? I would care if it were as cool as that. I would forgive its implausibilities. But, yeah, it's neither as technically impressive as that scene, nor, like all of these other ones, has it really been established. She scratched Amy and tasted the blood. And because she tasted the blood, she knows she's a new moon virgin. And so now for the rest of this, it's about getting Amy back to her castiche castle so that they could bathe together and bite together and kill Charlie together or whatever it is that's going to give her the ability to get a suntan again and this is what pisses me off more than anything else in this movie is its inability to establish and stick to rules you say this guy wrote it in a week i think it was a week of a cocaine fueled haze where he's going to the next page never even thinking about what he wrote on the last one where yeah this is good now she has to do this now she has to do that it's like instructions for an operating system it's almost like in order to become a vampire jerry had to read the end user licensing agreement to figure out all the stipulations of what she'd have to do to walk in the sun is it like that i would never read such a thing but i'll take your word <laughs> <laughs> i mean she has to turn amy and then amy has to kill charlie who has also turned yeah it, it's yeah. It, they really really you know what i'm going to compliment them the one thing that isn't like any fright night before charlie gets bit in the climax he goes to rescue amy alone because peter won't help him and like every other fright night. yeah i know that peter vincent's going to come back and save the day they've done it too many times before for me to think otherwise i didn't think amy would get her teeth into him i knew amy would be turned because that that happened even in the first one, but I didn't think that she would get Charlie when they're locked into the blood pool together. Do they thoroughly explain why she has to kill Charlie? Is it because she was his lover? I thoroughly explain no. The explanation I heard was, you have to kill what you love. You love Charlie. If you don't kill Charlie, you will wither and die. Mm, I, that didn't seem to happen to Bathroy back in the carriage, back when she was turned, but whatever. But she wasn't a new moon virgin. These are new moon virgin rules. <laughs> There's someone's rules, I don't know. Yes, uh, I forgot. Again, I'm telling you, making it up as they go along and pissing me off in the meantime. I'm all for... <laughs> 
the new moon virgin conceit. I really am. I mean, if you take the first Fright Night, Amy was a reincarnation of Jerry's love from hundreds of years ago. In this one, she could be the only new moon virgin found in a long ass time. God knows it's hard to find a virgin in this day and age anyway, let alone one on a new moon. But all of this has to kill Charlie's shit in addition. As part of the stipulation for Jerry to get what she wants, I got a better idea. Give Jerry what she wants. Let it be if I bathe with this new moon virgin, I can walk in the daylight. Great. She's still a vampire. You still have to stake the bitch. But why not let this happen in daylight? Why is the whole thing gotta be she will fail? <laughs> yeah, I again, I think that this is about being cured. I mean, this whole thing has been about being cured, right? If I find this virgin and drink this virgin, I can stop being the monster. Oh, okay, well, this gives me some empathy for Jerry. She's eventually going to be able to be normal again after slaughtering so many people. But no, she's still gonna chew on folks. It's just, literally, she can walk in the sunlight now. That is so frustrating. I'm so angry when that revelation is made that all of this has been just about a suntan. Well, forcing the students to come to class at night after they just flew in has to be getting hard. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I forgot about the day job. Anyway, whatever. (laughs) It should be pointed out in the middle of all of this muckety muck while people are changing and flipping and staking and all that. We do get Evil Ed's death. I almost forgot it the first time I saw this. It was only when I saw it again with the commentary that I was like, oh, right. Ed does come back after he attacks Peter Vincent only to drink a bottled holy water or something and explode. It was a good fight. This, to me, is the best fight in the movie, where it's Charlie versus Ed, and the most gory death when the holy water makes him implode from the inside out, and the best line, not evil enough. This is a high point? In a sea of shit, this is a turd island. Uh, Okay, I actually think it's the least memorable fight scene in the movie, but uh, what have you. I'm certainly not going to spend much more time discussing it. It it happens, we move on, and it, it, again, becomes largely about Charlie and Amy in the blood pool. Well, actually, I like the exploding Ed. I just don't remember the fight before it. I just watched this thing, and I know I remember him blowing up, but I can't remember for the life of me when Arnie said I liked the fight. I'm like... There was a fight? Yeah. Maybe it's because I also got the chemistry between the two characters. It's the only fight in the movie that felt like it mattered. When Ed's attacking Vincent, they barely know each other. Here, I actually believe these two were friends. Maybe they formed some kind of bond in their two weeks together in Bucharest. But I went with that. And far more than I went with this repetitive Amy-Charlie business that goes on for the rest of the film. Yep. I mean, I was shocked, like you said, Stuart, that she bites him. Although I was thinking they may have gone some totally different way. Because to stop Jerry, it seems like Charlie takes the ultimate solution. Amy has to kill Charlie. And in order to stop Jerry, I wish Jerry felt more evil and like there would be something really bad for all the Earth if she gets her way. But Charlie stakes himself. Yeah, whenever they're not doing Fright Night, I actually think the movie's pretty good. I think that that's an interesting development, that he actually holds himself hostage. If they need to kill him and he kills himself first, this is drama. This is tension. Will he be able to go through with that? I think that's a good moment in what has largely been a sea of repeats. But I hate what they do with this because he stakes himself which causes Amy to start withering and dying. I don't know why. I've never seen that happen to any other vampire before. I've seen 
you kill the master and the subs die. I've never seen you kill the sub and the master dies. That seems like a bad relationship. But then, also, she starts to get better after everybody realizes Charlie missed his own heart. Why is this healing Amy? It makes no fucking sense! As most of this last half hour is, at this point, I'm just appreciating the visuals. It's kind of fun. We get another through-the-torso shot with a beating heart. That was kind of fun, you know? Yeah, Yeah, I I didn't understand why they went back in the pool. I didn't believe that was blood for a a second, the way it was Mm dripping on their bodies, and the clothes didn't make it clearly not blood. That would totally coagulate. I mean, you'd have to have a thinner in there. Yeah, (laughs) yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Not that I know about bathing in blood. <laughs> a big pool of blood in my basement. <laughs> right. Yes, I wouldn't exactly. know anything about that. No. Take but, your word on it. Yes, but they had that stake that looked like a crucifix, a crucistake, whatever that thing was. <laughs> I didn't really get there was a wooden stake on the end of that. I thought it was all metal. Didn't understand why they were using that. I mean, everything here doesn't really add up very well. Why does Peter Vincent have this sword-like crucistake in his trunk of his car? Why did he bring it with him to Romania? The whole thing doesn't make any sense here at the end. But I did like that kind of moment that he decided to sacrifice himself as well, Stuart. I do kind of like when Bathroy finally vamps out. She does look like an extra from From Dusk Till Dawn. But again, it's a different incarnation of the vampire. I'm kind of going with that. It goes back to the cartoon. That is what the cartoon vampire that bit her back in the day looked like. And I like Vampire Charlie, too. I mean, the guy was always kind of gawky looking. You give him the red eyes and the fangs. I liked that look. It's a shame he had to go break the windows then, I guess. All right, this pisses me off, too. Uh, (laughs) Because according to Peter Vincent, the man who has no fright of the night and thinks it's all bullshit, but has every rule for Bathroy and a big tattoo on his chest... He says that Amy can be saved if you kill Jerry before sunrise. He then says, for reasons I don't know, Jerry is most vulnerable at dawn. So then he yells to Charlie, the sun is up. Well, that means they're fucked, right? The sun's up. No, he shrieks, killing her, and yet they still turn back even though she had to be killed before sunrise. Not only can this writer not make rules he can't stick to what few he makes well i'll say the script i mean the writer spent two months doing revisions because things changed because of budgets we can never know what his original script vision was but yes this is all kinds of garbly goop they did not fix it in the editing the story makes complete no sense i have never understood what this vampire wanted i have no idea why she's dead i'm just happy it's over and I guess saving your ex from vampirism is enough to get her to forgive you for kissing another woman. Tip for all you guys out there who have to face this. I would think he earned it at this point, but okay. Oh, man. At this point in the movie, Arnie, that's the last thing I'm thinking about is that why she would forgive him. I just don't understand why they all converted and then why didn't Ed come back to life? Because he's dead. So if you die, it doesn't reverse everything. It just reverses those who were turned. Listen, if you have no torso, if you become human, you're still not going to get up. Yeah, I had forgotten that Ed had died in that way. I was like, oh, he should come back. But no, he he did explode. So yeah, he can't be resurrected as Charlie can. Charlie had a bite. 
he had no middle. Charlie had a stake through his body, even though he missed his heart. He had a big gaping hole. But that healed. Yeah, it healed <laughs> while he was still a vampire. When you're a vampire, you have super healing. Yeah. Oh, oh, good point. He should have sealed. I don't know, and I'm not going to defend it. Let's just get it over with. I think so long as you destroy the heart, they're dead. I think Ed's heart was part of that explosion. I don't fucking know. Again, movie, bad with rules. No consistency. Can we get this over with? <laughs> sure. Stuart, Arnie, do you recommend Fright Night 2 New Blood, Stuart? You know, I look at this as I would an old friend that has gotten too much plastic surgery. You've disfigured yourself. I love the way you looked. And if you had gone on and old and you were on a low budget, fine. But don't do this to yourself. I mean, this is just ungodly. I can't look at it anymore. And I'm wondering if we should. You know, one of Peter Vincent's lines here is that make sure the check clears. Let's make sure it doesn't. Do not see Fright Night 2. Let's not review Fright Night 3 should they ever do it. I am all down for closing down this series and not going forward, even if they make more. I'm done. Real done. You're ugly. You're hideous. Strong not recommend. Arnie. You know, you could have talked to me about my surgery off the air, Stuart. <laughs> you didn't need to air it so publicly. But you have that big pool of blood in your basement you bathe in. Does that help? You and Joan Rivers. <laughs> of course, I don't recommend this. I went into this with really low expectations. But yeah, it is there with its Bucharest brothers, Rave to the Grave and Necropolis from Return of the Living Dead, or some of those Hellraiser sequels. I thought maybe a film in Bucharest could be interesting when set in Bucharest and using that as a exotic locale. But this thing is incomprehensible. It looks good. Digital camera technology and digital effects have allowed people, especially in Romania, to do a lot with a very little budget in a short time. But no amount of camera work is going to fix bad script and incoherent lots. And the acting, it's a weird dichotomy for me. I liked the characters without liking the performances the actors gave. Certain relationships worked, certain didn't. I thought they all had a little bit of charisma, but for the most part, I didn't believe any of the relationships, and Peter Vincent is the worst Peter Vincent yet by making him this blue-collar reality TV show kind of guy. No, it's abysmal. I'd rather give blood than watch new blood. Not recommend. Strong. Not recommend. I'm not recommending this either, and I mentioned earlier I felt this kind of like a college production of something, and a lot of times it really felt like that. It kind of felt like, you know, they're doing the best they can, and we should, you know, we should be happy that... You know, these guys are giving it their all and blah, blah, blah. But the biggest problem I think this movie had with itself is associating itself not just with Fright Night but with the character names because you have a completely unnecessary remake essentially here. That we It's a third remake in four movies, and it doesn't make any sense to me. If they had the same movie with different character names and called it Fright Night 2 as we discussed earlier, it would have helped a lot. There was a Robin Hood movie a couple of years ago with Russell Crowe that had the same problem, that if you didn't have Robin Hood, it would have been a great movie. But why is it called Robin Hood? It's so weird. It doesn't make any sense. And it, it diminishes things because you have an expectation of what Robin Hood should be. Well, same thing here. You have an expectation when you have the same character names and you have a Fright Night 2 
a two on there. And yeah, we have go in with lowest of expectations because it's a direct DVD sequel, but there's still expectations if you have the same characters and the title attached. And they really did a severe disservice. By the time I realized that it was just another remake, I felt like I was wasting my time watching this because it doesn't make any sense. It had no new point of view at all. The few clever things they did did not buoy the rest of it. And then, of course, as we talked about, the script is all over the place. It doesn't make any sense, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, this is not worth anyone's time. It is not a good movie in any shape. Strong not recommend for me as well. And I'm with Stuart, although I, for the continuity's sake, we review everything or I'm now playing if it's connected in a series. But we don't have to. That's our own rules. I think listeners should tell us. If you really want us to spend our time, we could have reviewed lots of other things. People are saying, when are you going to review The Conjuring? When are you going to review The Purge? We could have done those movies. We did this. Is this worth your time and ours? I want to know. I think people should say. I agree. I'm open to reviewing what the listeners want. And I think that at the very least, we could press pause on this series if they do any more Bucharest-based direct-to-DVD <laughs> sequels. And if the series ever redeems itself to have a movie that people care about that actually goes to theaters again, maybe then we play a little bit of catch-up and spend a few weeks in the shitter before we hopefully have a happy ending. But... Yeah, I agree, listeners. Let us know, because I am more than willing to just take this and stop. And it's not just because it's direct-to-video, because there have been direct-to-video movies that worked for us, but this one isn't one of them. I'll go ahead and spoil something. Curse of Chucky? Far, far better than this. Doesn't take much to be far, far better than this, but... No. At least it has redeemable qualities. And you know what? We have had a lot of requests for the Chucky series. We've never opened the vault before. We didn't plan to for Chucky, but we want to make listeners happy. We hear your demands. You guys want to hear the review of Curse of Chucky. You want to hear the whole Chucky series. We're doing something we've never done before. If you ever donated for Chucky, be it the DVD-ROM set or back in 2010 for Chucky, we've emailed you and given you the link to the new review. And if you didn't get that, send me an email, show at nowplayingpodcast.com so we can make sure you get that. But if you didn't get that, we're opening the vault. You can hear all six Return of Chucky films starting tomorrow. The Psycho Donation series ends tonight. Tomorrow through the end of December, we're going to open Chucky back up and you can hear our reviews of all six Chucky films, including the latest direct-to-video one. That's right, and yeah, I do think that we will be talking about a higher bar set for direct-to-DVD entertainment in that show. I've seen it as of this recording, and yeah, I'll go ahead and say it too. Expect better. No matter what I come down on Curse of Chucky, expect better than what we just reviewed. I mean, this should not go on. The director says Fox has great plans for this franchise. They want to keep going in this route. I hope you all say no to this. I really think that nothing good is going to come out of this. Maybe Amy. You know, I'm going to make one prediction. You know how there's always one star in every bad horror sequel? I think the actress that played Amy will go on and have a great career. That's my one prediction for Fright Night 2. And everything else is going to sink to the bottom of the pool. The blood pool. Yes. Yeah, okay, gotcha. (laughs) So we're looking forward to hearing back from you guys. Thank you again. And... See you soon. Hopefully not too soon. 
<laughs> Not in this! You're out of time, Mr. Daddy. Thank you for listening to the now playing Fright Night Retrospective Series. If only there had been a few more of you, perhaps my ratings would have been higher. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another movie. I thought I'd let the vampires rest for a little while. Right, Charlie. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other film series, such as Friday the 13th, Scream, The Lost Boys, Final Destination, Halloween, and many more. Plus, we also have individual movie reviews for films like Avatar, The Human Centipede, and Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. I expect we have a lot of the same interests, you know, in horror movies and the occult. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss these films with other listeners. Now that I've been made welcome, I'll probably drop by quite a bit. In fact, anytime I feel like it. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook notes and where the hosts post move mini reviews. No, orgy of the damned. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. That might also explain your fascination with low-grade melodramas. I am so proud of you. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. I have a $500 savings bond. I'll take it. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. Come on, dude. <laughs> it's party time. Now Playing's Fright Night retrospective series is edited by Arnie. You might amuse yourself some other way. Bowling, perhaps. Bowling? Now Playing is not affiliated with DreamWorks or Columbia Pictures, and no infringement is intended. I mean, you're going to need all the help you can get, right? Somebody like Peter Vincent, for instance? Yeah. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media, Incorporated. There. Satisfied? Oh, totally. And you're finally convinced I'm not a vampire either, right? Glad that's so. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2000... See ya! Oh, you're so cool, Brewster! <laughs> I can't stand it! I, I think I know what's landing in my bucket right now. I got a rock. I was gonna say that same thing! Oh, you beat me to it! Um... Oh, you're so cool, Brewster! <laughs> I can't stand it! If you're seeing the woman across the street doing that and then go to class right away, then you would think, what is that, like a, like a supper, like a, a mid, like a, a afternoon snack? It doesn't make it. It's a late supper, sir. Is it, though? Because a late supper would, you know what I'm saying, like it would be dinner. I, mean, I don't get it. I, I was I, quoting Beverly. Oh, were you? Okay, sorry. I didn't catch it. didn't catch it. <laughs> but it just, I. Oh, you're so cool, Brewster. <laughs> I can't stand it. I got a real Mike Rowe vibe off of him from Dirty Work. I dirty thought jobs. that's kind of like, or Dirty, dirty jobs. jobs. Oh, you're so cool, Brewster. <laughs> I can't stand it. I liked how it ended with Ed getting feeded uh, on, and that's a wrong, that's a bad word. Music. Oh, you're so cool, Brewster. <laughs> I can't stand it.